0: bad trend well pardon me yeah well we are still in Joshua chapter 2 and today I, I want to read the entire chapter again so we're going to begin by doing that so in Joshua chapter 2 Verse one. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wis not whence they were. it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. She had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound this scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until their pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. And let's pray. Father, we ask for your guidance today. We ask that you would teach us from your word, that we would learn of your great love for us and for your people. And uh, we just again ask for direction. ask that you speak to our hearts and give me clarity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we left off last week. We got through the first 11 verses, and so we're going to begin with verse 12. And of course, the spies went and Rahab hid them. She protected them. She took care of them. And uh, she proclaimed her faith. In their God, she acknowledged in verse 11 that He is the, the only true God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And I think that was uh, her way of saying that she acknowledges there is no room for any other God. So now in verse 12, she's interested in self-preservation. Understandably, we, we all are. She has risked her life for them and she asks them to do the same. She has no idea what God has in store for her for the rest of her life. She doesn't know that she's going to become a mother in the line of Christ. She certainly wouldn't have known that at this time. And yet, uh, she wants to live. She is excited about her newfound faith. She's interested to see what God is going to do. And... You know, even then, God extended His grace to Gentiles. Uh, I think we, we could probably ask ourselves several times throughout the course of the lesson. Certainly, when we get to the end of the chapter, why was this story even included? It could have seems that it could have easily been left out. Um, it's, you know, in some ways, not really pertinent to the conquering of the land. Um, but I, I think, you know, certainly, there's no accident that it's included. God wants. People to know that he well, he desires to save. Uh, he is, you know, he's not one that takes pleasure in death. So she's interested in self-preservation. She asks for her life on the basis of her kindness, um, common gratitude. You do something for me, I'll return the favor. Matthew five seven: Those who have shown mercy will be shown mercy. Proverbs eleven twenty five: The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered. Our world today, you know, they have all kinds of creative ways of explaining that. They call it karma, but we call it biblical truth. And God is keeping score. I'm not keeping score. I shouldn't keep score. Um, But I'm aware that when I show kindness to God's people, that it doesn't go unnoticed. That God is aware of that. And, And we'll see as we move throughout the lesson today that God rewards people for that kindness. God rewards people for being kind to His people. She also acknowledges that uh, God is now her provider. And she's not uh, shy about asking for a favor. And, you know, God actually delights in that. God wants us to go to Him and acknowledge him as our provider, as the one that can meet all of our needs. Um, you know when we get saved it it's it's only right that we go to God and, and begin to seek his favor and ask him for deliverance and those things. So she's not wrong in doing this in any way. she's not being selfish or greedy. she's acknowledging her dependence on the God of Israel. Verse number 13. She's also interested in saving her family. Probably spiritually as well as physically. I mean, certainly that would come in, in time. Um, there's no indication that they, at this point, share her view that the God of Israel is the, the true God and, and that all of their Canaanite gods are false gods. Um, you know, some of them may have, come to the same conclusion that she has, but we're not told that. We don't know that. She chooses God's people over her, over her own people. I think that's clear. Certainly, if she can have it both ways, she wants it both ways. Who wouldn't? She wants her family to be spared, but I think as we look at the context of the story, that if she had to make a choice, she made that choice. She is going to side with God's people and uh, choose the way of God uh she knows that their their country is finished. She knows that um, you know, if, if she weren't to submit to the God of Israel, she's they're gonna they're all gonna fall by the sword of the Israelites anyway. But she is willing to leave the old behind. And, you know, that's a mark of a true believer. Second Corinthians five seventeen. All things have become new, old things are passed away. And, you know, we see evidences of those that can't leave the old behind. We see Lot's wife. Her reluctance to leave Sodom and Gomorrah and her turning back to look would, would seem to be an indication of her unwillingness to depart from that old lifestyle. And, and that may be the only evidence we have in the Old Testament of Lot being saved. You know, at least he was obedient to that command of the Lord not to look back at those cities. Because the evidence in the Old Testament for Lot having been saved is, is pretty sparse. But she does have a love for her family. And her love for her family was probably certainly intensified by her love for the Lord. And so she wants them to experience the blessings of God in the way that she is going to. And there's no mention here of a husband or children. Um, We know later, as we see in the Scriptures, that she married an Israelite. She married Salmon, the great-great-grandfather of David. Um, He obviously was... Over able to overlook her past, even though, you know, she's been known for 3,500 years as a harlot. He was over, he was able to overlook that. And God had great things in store for her. God had um, a good life in store for her once she committed her life to him. And so, I mean, that's a wonderful example. You know, what some people would disqualify, others can, can look past. In verse number 14, the men agree to spare her, and they make a promise. This is the token that she asks for in verse 12. They swear by the Lord. They were men of their word. They were men of integrity. I remember about 10 years ago, there was. Uh, I went and talked to an older gentleman, probably around 70, um, about wanting to buy some acres behind my house, behind my property, and I went and talked to him and. We agreed on a price, and we shook hands, and that's all there was to it. We didn't sign any agreement. And a month or two later, he had received an offer from a real estate developer for more than the amount that he and I agreed to. And he came to me, and he said, I'm going to sell you the land for the price that we agreed upon. He said, we shook on it. I'm a man of my word. That's kind of unusual in today's world, I think. And I was certainly grateful for that. You know, he could have—we didn't have anything in writing—but these men were men of their word. You know, we'll certainly see that as we move throughout the story. They were going to adhere to the commitments that they made. These men also had some authority. Um, certainly, it wouldn't have been practical and convenient for them to have said, "Well, let, let's—we're uh, going to have to go back with Joshua and check on this to see if we can make this." You know, agree to spare you. Uh, they didn't. They didn't have to go back. Uh, Joshua had, you know, kind of as we had as discussed last week. Joshua had chosen these men very carefully. They were men of faith. We see that here in verse fourteen. Uh, they don't make any mention in verse fourteen about having any doubt as to whether or not God was going to give them the land. They didn't say if. They said when the Lord has given us the land. So they were faithful men, and they were. They had some authority. they were able to extend this offer to her. One of the things I want to explore. turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. One of the questions that I want to that I think is, is worthwhile to, to ask is if these men were being completely obedient to the Lord. In making this covenant with Rahab. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hiavites and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. They just made a covenant with Rahab. They just showed mercy to Rahab. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy these, these suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Verse 29. God makes these orders on the basis of spiritual importance. It's not based on the color of skin uh, or anything like that. You can see the consistent pattern throughout the Old Testament. God continually reminds His people that they were to avoid these nations because of the spiritual condition that it would lead them to. It would lead them into idolatry and away from God. Deuteronomy 12.29 When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them, after that they be destroyed before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? God wants them destroyed because he doesn't even want there to be a remembrance. Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do, thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So again, it's clear that God, God's ordered destruction of these nations is because of their wickedness, their idolatry. It's because of the... Spiritual decline of his people that would inevitably result because of these nations. God says very clearly here in these verses that we just read, his people have to worship him his way, not the way of these nations that are being displaced. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 12. If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently, and behold, if it be truth and the things certain that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. Thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city, and all the spoil thereof, every wit, for the Lord thy God. And it shall be for an heap forever, it shall not be built again. And there shall cleave not of the cursed thing to thine hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger, and show thee mercy, and have compassion upon thee, and multiply thee as he has sworn unto thy fathers. When thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep all his commandments, which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. And then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. So he says there in verse 16, nothing that breatheth. So why wasn't the covenant that the spies made with Rahab a violation of Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Deuteronomy chapter 20? They are sparing her and her family. The command is repeated in Joshua 6.17 with an exception for Rahab. Of course, that's after the fact. That's after Joshua has found out that they have made this covenant. But why Why was it acceptable for them to have even made this agreement with her based on these scriptures and we might you know we might be tempted to say well you know common sense would seem to I mean whenever I think that to myself I immediately throw up caution what's common sense to me isn't necessarily common sense to God God's ways are not my ways he doesn't think in the same way that I think he demands total obedience others probably thought it was common sense to touch the ark so it wouldn't fall off the cart you know a lot of things that we think are common sense Moses didn't listen carefully to the lord's commands in numbers chapter 20 he struck the rock instead of speaking to it god was very angry moses paid dearly for that i mean he didn't carry out god's instructions to the letter well turn to first samuel 15 i i want to look at a story that has some similarities to this story of rahab not there are also some distinctions that i i think will be beneficial but this is another story about god's expectation of complete obedience and we don't have time to read the whole chapter but we're going to read we're going to look at several verses first samuel 15 samuel verse number 1 samuel also said unto saul the lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken, listen carefully, thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Total destruction. Nothing is to be spared. Verse number six. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart you, get down, get you down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for ye show kindness, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Now there is a similarity there. Obviously Rahab has asked for the favor based on, that was the, those were the exact words she used. She says, I have showed kindness to you, therefore show kindness to me. And there are several incidents in the book of Numbers in which the Kenites had showed kindness to the Israelites over the previous centuries. And they are a distinct people group. They're not part of the Amalekites, which is why Saul says, get, a, get separated from them because we're going to do it. We're going to totally annihilate the Amalekites. And, you know, unless you want to be included in that, you need to separate yourselves. But they were a distinct people. So that, that act of Saul was not being disobedient to the Lord, you know, in, in telling the Canaanites to go away. They were, they were a group that had roots with Moses' father-in-law Jethro. And like I said, they had showed them kindness many times. And so, you know, we do see a pattern here that those who show kindness to God's people, uh, You know, they are being given a reprieve. They are being spared. They are being, an exception is being made for them. Verse 7, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the firstlings and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. So we see that Paul didn't follow the, the commands of the Lord to the letter. Verse 10, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So God was greatly displeased with this disobedience and rejects Saul as king. Now turn to verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, this is Saul blaming the people, but the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. This is Saul's excuse and justification for the disobedience. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So again, uh, Saul spares one person and loses the kingdom over it. The two spies spare, agree to spare Rahab and, and her entire family, which seems to be in contradiction to the commands given in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Deuteronomy chapter 20. And there's no indication that God was displeased with them turn to Isaiah chapter 56, I think we can look at some scriptures that will shed some light on the differences and the distinctions. Isaiah chapter 56, this is a passage in which God is giving great encouragement to those who were foreigners, those who were not born into the homeland of Israel. Rahab would have fallen into that category. So would Ruth. So would many others. Isaiah fifty-six, one. Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man that layeth hold on it that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger or the foreigner that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. So there in verse 3, God says, The stranger, the foreigner that has come into the fold of Israel is not to say I, you know, that I am a second class citizen. They are not to speak that way. They are not to say that God in any way views me in a lesser light than those that were born into Israel. Verse 4, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep thy Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within mine walls a place and a name better than of sons of daughters and of daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6. Also the sons of the stranger or the foreigner that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So God says here in verse 6, The stranger, the foreigner, if they are bound to me, if they have resolved to serve me and to love me and to keep my covenant, they're treated as though they were born in Israel. They, they have God's, verse 7, they have God's joy. They have his acceptance. And this extended to all people at the end of verse 7. So even at this time, God was, I mean, this is several hundred years after the incident with Rahab, but I think it's not a stretch to say that this is a, uh, you know, a glimpse into the character of God, into the mind of God, into, into the, the way he would have viewed the situation that was taking place in the book of Joshua. Uh, God always had, in His grace, the idea of saving Gentiles. Uh, Certainly, you know, not to the same extent as we see in the New Testament, but His grace extended to Gentiles even back at this time. So, you know, what's being said here is that those who have put their faith in God are no less God's children just because they weren't born an Israelite. That promise is true of us. We don't need to view ourselves and look at ourselves as being inferior and being any less God's children because we don't you know, those of us that are not of Jewish descent Romans ten twelve, Paul says in our dispensation for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him turn to Jeremiah chapter 18 Jeremiah chapter 18 Verse number seven. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. God says he can change his mind any time he wants. If there's any hope for our nation it's found here in these verses. If we will repent of our evil God says if a nation will if god has pronounced judgment on a nation and they will turn from that evil god says i can change my mind about any judgment that i may have pronounced on that the same way he can change his mind about any blessing that may he may have pronounced turn to ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 21. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. And his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Saith the Lord God and not that he should return from his ways and live. God doesn't take pleasure in the death of anyone. We don't want to lose sight of that. There's a lot of death and destruction in the Old Testament. There's a lot of, there's a lot of God's judgment being poured out. There's yet to be a lot of God's judgment poured out in the future. Verse 24. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he has sinned, in them shall he die. Yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal or not fair. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth in them for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turneth from his wickedness... That he hath committed, and do it that which is lawful and right; he shall save his soul alive. Verse thirty-two: For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore turn yourselves and live ye. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the character of God. It's not an anomaly to for Rahab and her family to have been spared. It seems as we look at the whole body of Scripture, as we look at all of the evidence, which we should do, we should look at the entire Word of God, That is, it is consistent with God's character. That those who have showed kindness will be shown kindness. And those that have bound themselves to the Lord will experience the blessings of the Lord. We see that in the life of Ruth. She says to Naomi, thy God shall be my God and thy people shall be my people. Um, Because we could ask the same questions. Why, you know, there are strict prohibitions against Israelites intermarrying with non-Israelites. And yet Salmon did it and Boaz did it and they weren't condemned for it. But it's because those people that they intermarried effectively became Israelites. They bound themselves to the Lord as we saw there in Isaiah they loved him they intended to serve him they were devoted to him so again i you know i i thought it was worthwhile that that you know at least for my own benefit that as i read through those books preceding the book of Joshua and we see those strict commands to abolish and destroy those nations, we, why why was an exception granted? And again, it, it's there's a consistency. Saul spared a gag. A gag, there's no no evidence or indication whatsoever that he repented of anything. And he certainly didn't turn to the Lord. As a matter of fact, he tried to talk Samuel out of killing him. You know, if, you, if we would have followed the story there on through, Samuel went in and it says he hewed him to pieces because he was not supposed to have been spared. And, and Agag didn't try to plead for his life based on any turning or acknowledging of the one true God. So there, there is a consistency here. Romans two twenty-eight and 29. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. So again, I think we have, I think we have consistent evidence throughout the Word of God that God wants to save people. God is not, God does, you know, as we, as we read, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in that. And so when there's opportunities for those people to be spared, God is willing to make those exceptions. So again, I don't think that the, and I think that, you know, again, maybe it wasn't a question in your mind, but in my mind, It was a question that I had, and I don't think that the spies were, you know, certainly there's no indication that they did anything that they weren't supposed to. Before we go on to verse 15, anybody have anything they want to comment or add about that particular topic? We're going to turn back to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Continue on with verse 15. Well, verse 15, it says, Then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Now, down on the wall. And of course, in verse 5 and verse 7, we're told that the gates were shut, which was the reason that they had to be let down by the wall. And so, you know, she continues to um, risk her life for God's people. She carries this thing through. Verse 16 she gives them instructions. She knows the way of her countrymen. She knows the mountains are rugged. She knows that they provide many hiding places. We certainly see that later on in the life of David as he is running and hiding from Saul. He finds plenty of hiding places. Verse 17. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Now uh, they let her know they let her know that their promises are conditional. There are there are conditions to these to the, their promises. There are four conditions, and you know we shouldn't make foolish promises. We've got to be careful what we agree to. I, I heard just on the news this week that um, somebody bought a somebody had noticed there was a ticket on StubHub for the World Series for a Boston Red Sox game for three dollars, and so they bought it and they got it for three dollars. And the next closest, the next cheapest ticket in that section was $759. And so they figured, somebody obviously made a big mistake. They didn't know where the decimal point was supposed to be. They probably meant to sell it for either $300 or $3,000. But the guy bought it for $3. He was pretty happy. It's a contract. They had to abide by it. They couldn't get out of it. Somebody else bought a safe on eBay for $123. And they got it home and opened it up, took it to a... To uh, some guy that drilled it out, and there was twenty-six thousand dollars cash in it, and the guy that sold it wanted it back, and the guy used his own words against him. He said, "Your ad on eBay says no refunds, no returns. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, you gotta abide by your con. You gotta abide by your word. You know, you enter into an agreement. You gotta, you gotta keep your agreement." Darius tricked into signing a law in which he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den and he was, as the Bible says, sorely displeased with himself that he had signed that law. And of course God spared him but you know we got to be careful about the agreements that we make. These men they make the, they make the, the, this agreement with Rahab but they said there's four conditions. Number one, you must hang this scarlet thread, The same one that was used to let them down the wall, so obviously more like a rope, not a thread. They said you have to hang this particular thread in your window, and that was very important. Obviously, if they, you know, if they would have, you know, that's what they would be looking for. It had, you know, they 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 didn't want to make sure there was they, they want to make sure there wasn't going to be any mistake about it. Even in Israel today, the law says all the houses have to look the same. They can you know you can't have a blue house or a pink house or a red house they all have to look the same even the roofs have to be the same that's the law in Israel they just wanted it to look that way so they had to use that particular scarlet thread number 2 the second condition their, her family must be with her number 3 her family must not only be with, must be with her they must be in the house they said if they're outside the house they're probably going to get killed they got to be in the house and the fourth condition was If you can't keep a secret, the whole deal's off. And, you know, if she couldn't keep a secret, there would likely be, you know, she'd likely be killed for treason. And if she couldn't keep a secret, and if they showed up and there was 10 houses with a scarlet thread hanging, well, then they wouldn't know which one, and, you know, then they would know that, again, that she blabbed. And so that's, that's the fourth condition. Now, verse 21, she agrees. She hangs the scarlet line. I don't think it. It's insignificant. I'm sure the, the color of it is mentioned for uh I, I think it is a uh symbol of God's deliverance, the same way the blood that was put on the doorposts when the Passover took place. I, I think that's significant, the color of this thread. It represents deliverance and salvation. Verse twenty two Says, and they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned and the pursuers sought after them throughout the way but found them not. They follow her instructions. I mean, they take her advice. It's good advice. They follow instructions. I'm sure there's probably some teachers in here that would think, wow, you know, if my kids, if my students would just follow instructions, life would be a lot easier. It'd be a lot simpler. They just follow instructions. They take her advice. It's good advice. She knew the way of her countrymen. And verse 23, they come and they give Joshua a full report. And then in verse 24, they said unto Joshua, truly the Lord hath delivered our, into our hands, all the land, even for all, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now this is interesting. Sometimes our perspective makes all the difference. You think about what they encountered when they went Across that Jordan River and went to the city of Jericho. Sometimes what we dwell on makes a lot, a big difference in our attitude towards things. You know, they, they could have come back and they could have said, there's only one person over there that was friendly to us. The walls are really tall. The walls are really thick. People were pursuing us for. I mean, you know, they're just one thing after another that they could have said the odds are stacked against us. They could have been like the 10 spies that came back 38 years earlier that just said this is like Obamacare, it's just impossible. I mean, you know, they could have said something like that. But they didn't. I mean, their pers- look look at their attitude is God is going to give us the land. He has caused the, the people's hearts to faint and melt. I mean, they're, you know, and I know that's true in my life. Sometimes if if I will just kind of take a step back and say, let's put things in the proper perspective. Don't dwell on the negative. Don't dwell on, you know, what might happen. I mean, you know, the older I get, I realize, you know, the, the old adage is true. Ninety percent of what you worry about never happens. Probably more than that. I mean, it, it seems to be true. And this is also added assurance to Joshua. He had already been given God's promise of success in chapter 1. God had made that abundantly clear. But yet He sends these spies out. They bring back this report. And yet, you know, this is just added confirmation that, you know, God's Word is going to come to pass. The people are disheartened. They, you know, they're not going to be able to put up a, a, a great resistance and, you know, we could ask ourselves the question, did Joshua need this added assurance? I don't know if he needed this added assurance, but it's certainly always nice. You know, when when we sense that the Lord is calling us to do something, if we, if we can have confirmation of that and, and repetition of that, it's certainly encouraging to us. I, I always think of Gideon, you know. Gideon was... He knew he was walking on eggshells. He said to the Lord... I'm going to put this fleece out. Don't let your anger be hot against me. I'm, I'm having some doubt. You know, he knew that he was, he, he had to be careful. He, God expected obedience and, and, and yeah, he did that once, not twice. He said, well, I'm going to try it again. I'm still not sure. And how many times are we like that? You know, we're, we're not quite sure. We, we just, Lord, I, I know what you told me, but, could you show me a sign? Could you give me a little bit of indication that you really mean it? And not everybody's that fortunate. You know, I, I, whenever I think of Gideon, I always think of Zachariah in the New Testament. When, when he was told that he was going to have a son, John the Baptist, as soon as he put up any resistance at all about having any doubt and disbelief, God said, I'm striking you with dumbness. You're not going to be able to speak. And God knows their hearts. God knows our hearts. But I always think of the contrast there. I think Gideon, boy, he was—you know—he got—he twice was able to express doubt and didn't get struck down. And you know, God—and yet Zechariah—it seems like God was overly harsh with it. God knows. God knows their hearts. That's all. I mean, that's all. I, I guess I, all I can say about that is that God knows our hearts, and and God knows that when we're when we're having doubt, whether or not that doubt is, you know, really what that's rooted in is that, you know, is that really a reluctance or a resistance to to want to follow through on the Lord's commands or is that just you know genuine uncertainty I'm you know again we've got to be very careful I mean I I find myself sometimes being like Gideon okay God don't 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 get so angry but you know that's how Gideon was he was very very cautious he knew that he was treading on on dangerous ground in questioning questioning the Lord's commands So again, I mean, we're, we're, we're done here with chapter two, but, you know, again, I, I think, um, there's a lot of valuable reasons that chapter two two was included. Um, you know, again, I, I, mean, in terms of the overall conquest, it seems that it could have, could have easily been left out, but I think it's, I think, you know, certainly there's many reasons I'm sure I can't think of, but certainly some of the reasons that it's included is just to, to let us know about God's grace. That God wasn't just, you know, bent on the total annihilation and destruction of these people. I mean, he, we, we should know that already. I mean, he had given them four, four hundred years to repent. But, you know, these types of stories are included. These types of incidents are included to, to show us that he wants to save, that he's very gracious, that he's very merciful. You know, as, as some of those other passages where he doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. And I, this is a big obstacle to a lot of people in our world today. I've heard people say, well, the God of the Bible is so unloving and so harsh and so judging. Well, that, the, you know, He is very, He does judge sin. But there's a bigger problem if somebody is going to reject the Word of God because of an in- incidents like this. You know, the, the judgment that took place at the flood was almost total annihilation of the people. And the judgment that's going to take place someday is going to be a very severe judgment. And so for somebody to reject the Word of God based on the wars that took place during the time of the Israelites, there's a much bigger issue at stake. They're going to be judged for their sin someday, and that's going to be, you know, that's eternal judgment. And so they've got to deal with that topic. We only have a minute or two. anybody have anything they want to add or comment on? Anne. Yeah, yeah, so the Lord. Right, exactly. Right, yeah, cause, you know, again, I, I think as we discussed last week in verses 10 and 11, when she proclaims those miracles and mighty works of God, these are things that she never saw any of it. You know, her faith is based on what she had heard. She'd see any of these things. Jim. Yeah, His providence, His sovereignty. Right, right, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Alright, well, it's 10 till, so we'll stop there. you are dismissed.